I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. This is Fish Jelly. Yeah. Welcome back. Thank you. You were in Venice. Italy. Italy. Mm-hmm. Where Venice is located. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> Well, it's funny because telling people in Los Angeles I'm going to Venice, they're like, oh, Venice Beach? No, girl. <laughs> um, you returned yesterday. Yes. We can talk about Venice shortly. I was at a wedding yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, which I realized as I was leaving that wedding that that's the first gay wedding I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. So there's that. It was um, a very lovely ceremony. It was obvious the grooms put a lot of effort into personalizing it. Sure. The space they rented, um, they did a lot of the decorations and a lot of personal touches, a lot of photographs being shown on the screen and family members, talk, friends and family talking. I thought that was really sweet. A lot of, you know, where you go to sign, like, congrats, you know, sign the book. They had pictures of, like, friends and loved ones who had passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really sweet. But people often ask me, um, like, what was my wedding like? And then <laughs> I didn't have one. Well, we, technically we eloped. But... Um, and then of course, why? Well, usually people feel sorry for me. Like, oh, that's too bad. It's like, well, I didn't want a wedding. You know, you know what doesn't feel sorry? My pocketbook. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's sweet. Like good for people doing what feels good to them. Like if you want a big wedding and like, I guess that sounds very unappealing to me to have a wedding, but probably what's more unappealing is the the money I would have to spend. I think the money, and I, I think that I have never really liked kind of the inherent performance of a personal life that has to go into events like that. Um. <laughs> well, I don't know many people, so like I don't know who I would invite that I mean, it really would end up being a smallish gathering. I don't know. At the time we did get married, I feel like uh, I had more friends from where I'm from than you know, what, whatever. Sure, but even that would be like, I mean, there wouldn't be... It wouldn't be hundreds of people. Right. So to me, it's like, well, so so then what? Start inviting people who... And and legit, I think both you and I would be like, well, do we want to feed this person? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I might be, I might have been inclined to have a party maybe, but even then it's like, there wouldn't be that many people. I don't know. I think it's cool if people want to do it and they have the money. Of course, yes. I suspect a lot of people who have nice weddings can't afford Like, they're not paying cash mm-hmm. with money they had just lying around. They're, like, putting themselves into some sort of debt. So that, to me, um, is not appealing. Uh, and at this point in my life, I probably feel more strongly about that. Like, just with how like more aware I am about finances and like, it just really seems like an extravagance that does not appeal to me. Well, and especially if you don't own a home, like, well, yeah, (laughs) I'm sorry. If you rent an apartment that you're not even happy with, and then you spend 60 K on a wedding, that feels like, mm, (laughs) I don't know. That wouldn't be me. But I think that inherently there's also this, the statement you're making to those who know you and that it also lends itself uh, as a way to cement the relationship 
as in how socially shameful it would be to kind of walk back this commitment to each other after out, out of hundreds of people and out of this this money we've dumped into a day uh which does have some value i mean it is a statement like this is a thing that i'm taking very seriously and it's a demonstration to the quote-unquote world sure that i'm committed so i appreciate that and i and i have had fun at weddings um but those were usually actually the more the more the most the weddings I've been to where I thought, oh, this was an enjoyable experience, it was obvious that everyone there was, like, closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? of course. Like, it was a smaller sort of group. And probably the less lavish weddings were more appealing to me. And, like, my sister, they kept it very... Oh, yeah, yeah. They kept it very, like, true to how they are. Mm-hmm. And in the city they live. <laughs> in the city they live in. They went to one of those, like, Vegas, like, drive through type chapels. Mm-hmm. And it was a very quick, quick ceremony. They were dressed more sort of, like, how they would dress if they go out. And then they had a dinner, like, directly afterwards. It, it was all just very sort of easy. And I thought, you know... I, I guess for me, it's just more like two people choosing to get married. Like, uh, I agree. I don't need the performance aspect of it. It's like, okay, y'all got married, so now you're married. That's great. Mm-hmm. Like, you did it. But I also appreciate the opposite end of the spectrum. It just wouldn't be for me. But that being said, I only brought it up because people always ask me. And there's always, it's kind of like when. I'm imagining like when a woman of a particular age gets asked if she has children and she Mm -hmm. says no and people feel sorry for her. And it's like, well, maybe that's because she doesn't want children. Like she's happy about her decision. Right, right. Like I'm happy that I didn't go into debt. Well, it's a common saying that the the family is for the wedding more than it is for the... Or for the, the wedding. The wedding is more for the family than it is for the couple. And uh, based on my upbringing and... Uh, uh, I didn't need to do that. So. Well, or, or, you know, if I were rich, then, you know, dropping 150K on a party would be fun. Right? Sure. Yeah. If I had 20 million and I want to drop 100 on a, a party, that could be fun. It, it, it wouldn't be stressful to me. I can hire someone to just set up this party and it'd be easy peasy. Just show up, be cute and have fun. But but you're not Blanche. But I'm not that. So th- it would be very stressful financially, emotionally. Like, you know, the le- the smaller budget you have, the more you have to do on your own and rely on other people. To me, that's stressful. But anyway, um, you don't watch Dancing with the Stars. I know, but I did see that Shangela is on whatever season is coming out. Well, so. <clears throat> Yeah, I was going to read the people who are on and see if you know who they are. So Shangela's on there, Mm -hmm. who's a drag grace queen and also one of the hosts on We're Here. Charlie D'Amelio. Do you know who that is? No. I don't either. Uh, Heidi D'Amelio. No. Oh. Okay, Charlie is a a female and Heidi is her mother. So the mom and daughter are on. I have no idea who these people are. Selma Blair is on it. Ooh, did, but, but she has multiple sclerosis. Did she get that under control or? Mm, um, interesting. I don't know. Well, I mean, good for her. I guess that means she's in a good place. Wayne Brady. Yes. Uh, Teresa Giudice from Real Housewives of New Jersey. Oh, I know that forehead. Yeah. Well, that's more like a three head. <laughs> uh, Cheryl Ladd. Yes. Charlie's Angels, mm-hmm. obviously. Daniel Durant. 
That sounds familiar. I don't know who this is, but I'm reading that it's he was in a movie called Coda. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Jordan Sparks, who I know. She's an art, a pop singer. She won American Idol. Oh, I just saw her. Uh, at, there was some premiere at AMC, and I was at a screening, and she was there. She looked, I mean, she looked fantastic. She's beautiful. Uh, Vinny Guadagnino. He, uh, Vinny from Jersey Shore. Oh, okay. Uh, Gabby Windy. I have no idea who that is. Jason Lewis, um, apparently he played a character on Sex and the City. I don't know who that is. Mm. Uh, Jesse James Decker, I don't know who that is. Trevor Donovan, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Sam Champion, I don't know who that is. And Joseph Baina, who apparently is Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, I think. Oh, okay. I don't know who that is. But anyway. Well, why not? Why not use those connections? Okay, you want to talk about Ulrich Seidel? Oh, God, yeah. I had meant to bring this up in our last podcast, but there was just so much going on. But um, the main re like, I had kind of considered going to, like, making a, a two-day trip to Toronto after Venice, mainly because I really want to see the Ulrich Seidel film, Sparta, uh, which is the second part of the film... Rimini that premiered at Berlin earlier this year. Um, it was supposed to, it was this long gestating years long project that he broke up into two films and uh, it's playing in competition in San Sebastian later this month. But Toronto, uh, which I was shocked at, um, had scheduled it for in their contemporary world cinema section. And there has been over the past couple weeks, a lot of uh, weird things coming out about the production of this part of the film, uh, which is, uh, about one of the brothers that is a pedophile. And uh, I'm sure you're not familiar with how Ulrich Seidel films things, but he tries to get kind of as real as possible performances using non-actors and putting them in situations where they're not maybe entirely sure what's going on. And that's why I think he breaks a lot of taboos with his filmmaking, then gets really fascinating results, also makes a lot of documentaries. Um, but... He used children, of course, and the parents of the children in this small town in uh, Romania weren't entirely sure what the that pedophilia was, what the film was about. So, in uh, the shot a couple of years ago, and there's all these children that have come forward and have been interviewed about all these apparently really inappropriate things, not sexual, because there's no sexual uh, moments with kids being featured in the film, to my knowledge or, or understanding, but kids that really weren't entirely sure what was going on and were put in upsetting situations, right? Okay. Uh, so less than 24 hours before it was supposed to premiere at TIFF, they, of course, in true uh, Canadian fashion, uh, couldn't be involved in any kind of controversy, so they pulled it from the program, uh, and that was it. So I'm in other words, I'm glad I didn't go to Toronto based on mainly seeing this film. I highly anticipated that they ended up not playing. But, uh, yeah. Hmm. So who knows? I, San Sebastian is less, uh, you know, they could, it's my understanding of San Sebastian, they give a fuck about being politically correct, which is why, you know, Johnny Depp was honored there uh, pre-trial and uh, Woody Allen's last film premiered there. Uh, so I'm sure that the premiere will go ahead there, but I guess it will be difficult for anybody outside of that fest festival to probably ever see that film. Hmm. Well, okay, so hard uh, transition to Canada's Drag Race. <laughs> There's a winner. Oh, I haven't watched any no. Drag Race. Do you want to guess who won? No. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> so we're not. I, so you watch this then? Yeah, I finished it. Oh, so then I'm not watching it. Unless you want to. Oh, you're not going to go back and watch Canada. No, I didn't care for it. Oh, then I'm not going to watch it ever. So, can you guess, or do you have thoughts on who might have been in the top? No. <laughs> because you, I, I think by the time I stopped watching, all the people I really liked were gone anyway. Um, well, <laughs> so the top... Please, please tell me that Jada Shada Hudson did not win. The top four were Kimi Couture. Uh, okay, who is that again? The trans woman. I need more. Uh, Asian. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Miss Fierce Delicious. Ick. Oh, my God. Top four. Jada Shada Hudson. <laughs> and Giselle Lullaby. Please tell me Giselle won out of them. Giselle won. Oh, thank God. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, normally with the top four, they make them all lip sync. Mm -hmm. But they were like, we don't need all four of you to lip sync. So they eliminated Kimmy Couture and Miss Fierce Delicious. Okay. So it was between Giselle Lullaby and Jada Shada Hudson. You're kidding me. Jada Shada got to number two. And when they <laughs> described her drag, you know, because every time you get to the finale, all the judges say some, all the kind words for each. I was like, am I taking crazy pills? Because I really did not think Jada was as strong as they painted her out to be. Because she wasn't. Because it's all uh, a machine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they lip sync to Celine Dion's A New Day Has Come. Mm -hmm. And I immediately I'm like, well, Giselle's going to win. Because mm -hmm. Giselle actually seems like Celine Dion. <laughs> and so she won that lip sync. Well, I don't know if you would say she won, but they chose her as the winner. Uh -huh. Yeah. So that's it for that. Okay. Uh, then um, RuPaul's Secret Celebrity Drag Race. So this most recent episode... Okay, my biggest gripe about the episode is... Well, two things. First of all, there was no one eliminated. Wow. Rue thought they all did such a great job that the top two people had to lip sync against each other for the winner. Okay. And the top two were Donna Bellissima, which we know is Daniel Franzesi, and then Chakra Seven, the black lady who's mm -hmm. a child actor who I can't tell who she is. Okay. Okay. But what annoyed me the most about this episode was the episode, the theme for this episode was I love the 90s. Okay. Okay. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, for sure, because I was looking at uh, Billboard's top artist of the 90s. Mm -hmm. So the top female artist of the 90s, like solo female artists are Toni Braxton, mm -hmm. Whitney Houston, Madonna, Celine Dion. Number two is Janet Jackson. Mm -hmm. And number one is, of course, Mariah, Mariah Carey. Carey. Okay. Do you think any of those ladies were featured on this episode? None? None! I couldn't believe it. I expected, like, all of, like, five of those names I mentioned to be the songs for I Love the 90s. But no, the songs that were performed were by Britney Spears, which, fair, whatever. But that's the end of the 90s. Christina Aguilera. Also end, the end. of the 90s. Lauren Hill, do up that thing. Also late 90s. Late 90s. I don't know. There was a band called The Chicks. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, no. And then, of course, Spice Girls. Okay. But I'm like, okay, I already am so annoyed. So I was not impressed by these performances. And I'm surprised that Brew couldn't send someone home. But... Yeah, this show is... The, the fact that we don't get to... Because they're keeping their identities a secret, up until now, it feels like we don't get to really know the contestants. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're dragging it on, but 
production must sense that that's what's happening because the gag for this episode, besides no one being eliminated, is Rue says it's getting too tough to judge everyone, so everyone needs to reveal themselves. No. Yes. And then it then the episode ends. So of course, next episode it will start with everyone revealing themselves. I think I saw a headline about Leah Michelle. Is she one of them? Oh, okay. I don't know. I just happened to see a headline about it, but I I'd be so who would she be? So wait, since I've Cause been Cuz the only girl left is um Chakra 7 and she's black. The other four are men. Since I've been gone, wasn't there two epi- weren't there two episodes since I've been gone? Yeah, the last one, the person who was um eliminated who was that? We talked about I it. I left after Taylor Dane. Um, was Millie Von Sunshine. Who was that person? Who was Millie Von Sunshine? I don't remember. Who was Millie? Is she the one that did that really good uh, version of Rob? Oh, Jenna Ushkowitz. Oh, Jenna Ushkowitz was on Glee. Oh, Maybe Glee. that's where the Leah Michelle thing is okay, in your mind. Okay, all right. Do you know why I forgot? Because I have no idea. It's the Asian lady. Yeah, yeah. She did that. I had re- no- she did that great rendition of Robin. Yeah. Yep. I have no idea who that lady is. So, <laughs> so that's why I forgot. Anyway, I'm done with that. Okay. Okay. So you're back from Venice. Yeah, I sure the um, hell am. So I guess we'll have to make a video of like your favorites from there. Oh. But okay. I'm assuming you want to talk about Venice a little bit. You don't want to. I, so don't talk about my favorites now. Well, we're gonna make a video about. Oh, it. Oh, we are. Okay, I didn't know. I was not. I didn't give him. I did not give him a, a memorandum. Well, you're not prepared to talk about it now, so we should probably make a video. I, I mean, I have. I already have my favorites, but okay, whatever you want. Well, what do you want to say about the only thing? So there are a few things that popped out to me for Venice. One was the whole. Don't worry, darling. With uh, whatever his name is, Harry Styles spitting on Chris Pine at the press conference. But then I didn't care enough to dig deep. Like, if, did he spit on him? No, what, I don't. What did Harry say about I, I don't know. Then I saw the video of Brendan Fraser getting a standing ovation for the whale. Mm-hmm. And then I saw uh, Timothée Chalamet oh, dressed, that, looking his, like... His red carpet was... I, no. No. I no. saw that. Um, and then I also saw that Anna de Armas uh, was... Basically, say, like trying to say that. I'm going to read what she said. She said, I truly believe that. So, talk, Anna de Armas in the movie Marilyn. No, Blonde. Blonde, sorry, playing Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. and her portrayal of her. And she says, I truly believe that she was very close to us. She was with us. She was all I thought about. She was all I dreamt about. She was all I could talk about. She was with me and it was beautiful. I think she was happy. She would have also thrown things off the wall sometimes and get mad if she didn't like something. Maybe this sounds very mystical, but it is true. We all felt it. So it's basically saying like the spirit of Marilyn was sure. on set. Um, did you like this movie? I did. I gave it a... Well, you didn't read what I wrote, but I gave it a very good review. Yeah, I, I think that it was a... I read the book, which I'm also a big fan of. I, I'm a fan of Joyce Carol Oates in general. Uh, it's a fictional uh, rendering of Marilyn. Uh, and of course, great liberties are taken, uh, marrying them with kind of visual artifacts we have uh, of Marilyn Monroe. And I I think Ana de Armas, it's a great impressionistic performance. And there's a lot I really liked. And it, it takes a lot of risks. I don't think everything works uh, by any means, but uh, it it's fascinating and i think that it does justice to you know this this icon who was 
ruined and ravaged by the world. But mm. and you know there was a very divisive um, response in Venice with a lot of charges of misogyny and how uh, it's it's demeaning to Maryland. It's like uh, the fucking world was demeaning to Maryland, and the depiction of misogyny does not make something misogynistic. So you know that. Like many things and many reactions to the other things in in Venice and elsewhere, it's just you know it feels like it's getting impossible to be able to talk about something without charges of that representing the the, the very thing that it's criticizing. But anyway, mm. um, so the whale Brendan Fraser plays a six hundred pound gay man. Yeah, do we see him as six hundred pounds? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How does he look? He looks like very unhealthy. He looks like hell. Like he's just sitting in his apartment. Or? Yeah, he's he's mostly mobile, but you do see him. You see him showering. You see him standing up. You see you don't see his penis, but uh, and I've read the play that this is based on. It's in the play where he's masturbating and uh, uh, his his. Can blood, he reach his penis? Yeah, he can. He can. Oh, but he's. Uh, uh, it's the last week of his life in this character who's. Uh, this woman that comes to take care of him, played by Hong Chao, uh, his blood pressure is like astronomical. Basically, it's like if he doesn't go to the hospital immediately, he's going to die, and he refuses to go to the hospital. So uh, you know he's going to die. Oh, okay. Well, did you uh, want to, the awards? Of course, were announced. Okay, talk about that. Uh, so my top three films in competition all won awards. That's nice. Not in the combination I thought they would, but the Golden Lion winner was Laura Poitras' All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which I did really like. Um, and St. Omer won kind of the second place grand jury prize by Alice Diop, which I also thought was fucking fantastic. And then Kate Blanchett, uh, won... Best Actress for Tar, which overall was my favorite film. Uh, I was very surprised that Brendan... I thought Brendan Fraser, I would bet money on him winning Best Actor out of the festival, but they instead gave it to Colin Farrell for The Banshees and Sheeran. Uh, Oh, our friend who we had lunch with? Colin Farrell, not Firth. Oh, Colin Firth. Today's his birthday, I think. Okay. He's 62. Yeah, we saw Colin Firth at CeCe's. Colin Farrell's my friend too, though. Okay. He won. He won Best Actor. For what? Uh, the ba- the Banshees of Inshiran, which I also gave a Ed very... Ed Sheeran? Inshiran. Oh. <laughs> Inshiran, Inshiran. Uh, co-starring Brendan Gleeson, uh, in, which is a very, a very kind of amusing film set in the 1920s uh, Ireland about this bromance that goes horribly awry basically when Brendan Gleeson decides like uh, you're wasting my time I don't want to see you anymore and his very crushed counterpart is trying in vain to get his attention again uh, to the point where uh, Brendan Gleeson says the next time you try to talk to me and every time after that I'm going to cut off a finger until you realize that I'm serious and so then it becomes kind of a horror film uh, but that one best screenplay and uh, best actor which was shocking, but it played very well. Uh, I was I went in dreading having to watch it uh, because I, I disliked the three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri so much, which won fucking best picture in the U.S. in 2017. Uh, but yeah, I, I was very uh, highly. Su- I, I was I was surprised at that award. What else do you want to say about Venice? <sighs> I mean, it's it was all work and no play. Like I covered by myself every single competition film and uh altogether wrote about 40 films uh and you know it it was just very 
it was a lot of work, but enjoyable. Uh, a lot of great food. Uh, of course, no real nightlife in Venice unless you are going to select parties, which I do not. Uh, but yeah, it was it, it was like Cannes this year where I decided I was going to try to see if it's just you you know possible to keep up with. Uh, covering competition films as they come out and other film. It's it's possible you need a room of your own and a lot of time, but... <laughs> okay, well, again, uh, you can make a video about your favorites and some things you didn't like. Uh, I'm going to ask another question. What's your favorite meal? Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> and do you have a favorite pizza place? Uh, my favorite deep dish pizza place in L.A. is Masa which we go to Masa of Echo Park, technically. Um, but there are different styles of pizza, as you know. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but I know where it is. Uh, we went a couple times. I think it was in Beverly Hills, that Neapolitan. Oh, like off Pico? Yeah, that was and not really that expensive considering it's the near, pizza. Um, isn't it near the Fox Lot? It's near the Fox Lot. It's not far from that Ralph's over there yeah. uh, as well. And it, it opens kind of late during the week, like only for dinner. Um, yeah, I would like to go back there. It's been a minute, but I don't know. When I think of that, what style is that called? Ne Neapolitan? Ne no, ne Neapolitan ne or Neo? Is it Neapolitan? I thought it was Neapolitan. Oh, I thought that was ice cream. Anyway, that's oh, no, that you might be right. That style of pizza that's hand tossed and put in the oven, so it's kind of like the the darker bubbles, but it's still chewy. I always have flashbacks of. Um, no, it's it's Neapolitan. It's Neapolitan. Pizza. Yeah. Naples, the, Naples style. When yeah. we, the Minneapolis Film Festival. Oh, Punch Pizza. Punch Pizza. For any, so any ticket holder to a screening at the Minneapolis St. Paul Film Festival could go to Punch Pizza and get a free pizza. Yeah. But you had seen so many movies <laughs> that we just had like. <gasps> yeah, because I'd watched three or four or five movies a day. So yeah. for a week, and we would just get the pizzas, bring them home, mm -hmm. save them, microwave them. Oh my God. They are delicious. Yes. But I always think of that. I wonder if they still do that. I can't imagine they do. Um, my favorite meal, I don't know what I would say. Probably Mexican food. Yeah, but what kind of Mexican? Definitely not Oaxacan. <laughs> I don't... I, for anyone, I, I do not like like mole. I don't like... Um, like birria, like goat meat. Definitely don't like that. But... Um, so I guess if I had to pick a Mexican restaurant, well, my mom's cooking, I, I always like. Um, mm -hmm. I, do I think she has the best food? No. I, I really like my mom's food because it's my mom. But if I had to pick a rest, so I, I don't mean it like it's not good. It's just, I'm just used to it and I like it. So I would always eat my mom's Mexican food. But there's a restaurant in Westchester called Paco's Tacos. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty good. That's probably my favorite Mexican restaurant in L.A. Okay. And then I've, of course, had some amazing food in, like, Mexico City. Oh, God. I still think about those tortillas um, at that place on Olvera Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I will say my mom, when she makes homemade beans, those are my favorite beans. Sure. Yeah. But just Mexican food in general. And what, and what are those chimaltrufias that I used to get in? That's not even a real thing that you used to get <laughs> in a la salsa in Minneapolis, yeah. Okay, films that were released uh, we didn't cover. Something called About Fate. About Fate. Uh, Marys Vaisberg directed, starring Emma Roberts and Thomas Mann. Neither of whom I'm very interested in, but that came out this week. 
um, Athena, which uh, Netflix is releasing in theater shortly before it'll be on Netflix, which I covered out of uh, for Ion Cinema, uh, was part of the competition in, in Venice. Uh, directed by Roman Gavras. Uh, not, definitely not one of my favorite films, but it has some pretty interesting elements about it. It was co-written by Lodge Lee, who wrote Les Miserables, which got a ton of attention a couple years ago, which I also did not like. Um, you know, these films about like urban civil warfare that also try to highlight these friendly white police officers that are just like, oh, I'm just so... I'm just so tired of all the one-dimensionality one of the characters with this particular presentation, which Athena is a better version of, but anyway. Next, Brahmastra Part 1, Shiva. Yeah, so Disney is putting out this uh, Indian cinema cinematic spectacle that, as the title would indicate, is going to be more than one, uh, like a franchise, that uh, a VFX-heavy franchise that came out. We were invited to a press screening of it before I left, but it was during the afternoon, um, uh, directed by Ayan Mukherjee. Uh, that came out this weekend, and I haven't read any reviews to know anything about it, but it's a spectacle. Next, End of the Road. This I had wanted to watch before I left, but we just didn't have time. Uh, Millicent Shelton, it's a Netflix film starring Queen Latifah and Ludacris, amongst other Oh, people. it's on, yes. I'm, I'm sure we'll watch it. Yeah. Because it looks ridiculous. But I wanted to cover it, but we didn't. Um, Medieval. This I passed on, even bothering with the screener, but the Czech filmmaker Peter Jekyll uh, directing uh, Ben Foster and Michael Caine, uh, period piece based on a true story. Uh, maybe if there was nothing else going on, which definitely wasn't this month. Lastly, speak no evil. I reviewed this out of Sundance at Ion Cinema this past year, and it is something I would have made time for because I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Uh, it. It plays kind of like a Michael Haneke's funny games uh, based on following politeness to the logical conclusions, i.e. like your own death because you don't, stand up for yourself but it's about this couple that meets this other couple on vacation and then they stay in correspondence and decide to rent a cabin together and then the, the one couple is uh after many many uh, innumerable red flags uh, are stoned to death uh basically by this other couple uh which is so in modern time yes like oh. so totally ridiculous and over the top and these these stupid white people are so ridiculous to watch uh that to me that kind of robs the joy out of it is just like well it, apparently you want to die because you have no survival skills or sense of... Uh, uh, but that was directed by Christian Tafterup. I believe it's Danish. Uh, that came out this week. I maybe on Shudder. But it's, it is worth a watch. But again, I think it really kind of misses that, um, that balance of what keeps you invested in watching somebody go, have to go through it. But anyway. All right. Moving on to things we watched for fun. You saw something called Fighting With My Family. And so th I could only uh, be relegated to things I was forced to watch on the plane home to pass the time. But I missed this 2019 film directed by Stephen Merchant, who's an actor who's very kind of funny looking, uh, who you would recognize. He's in that one scene of the movie, movie 43 with Halle Berry. With oh, see that tall guy. Yeah, with the eyeballs. I, I remember when this came out, and I remember that Dwayne The Rock Johnson plays himself in it, but I had no idea what it was, uh, but it, it's based on a true story about this family of WWE fighters, uh, or wanted, th these that kind of style of fighters, this family who the daughter gets the opportunity to try out for the WWE, and she is the youngest person to do so and, and get in, uh, played by Florence Pugh. Uh, 
And it's interesting uh, in, in a basic sort of way. Uh, but yeah, and also starring Jack Loden as her brother, who doesn't get in, uh, who we just saw play Siegfried Sassoon uh, in a film you didn't like, directed by Terrence Davis, in Benediction. Uh, there are some interesting hair things going on in this movie that I would have been curious to get your thoughts on, such as she has Morticia Adams hair and basically decides to be like the other women that are ex-models and cheerleaders trying out. She decides to dye her hair like fucking honey blonde in her hotel room, and it looks immaculate. <laughs> but yeah. she like she says she... So she went from black to blonde? She says she did it overnight in, a hotel, in her hotel room. The box color? And you would not believe, you would not believe the lies uh, yeah. that that movie is trying to tell us, but... Uh, there's, there's no way. Okay, <laughs> next... And, uh, I also watched a film called Four because uh, I didn't realize that this Austrian filmmaker Marie Kreutzer uh, had directed a TV film this this year that uh, was on an uh, Austrian air or whatever. So it's like, oh, great, because I'll never have an opportunity to see this. Um, Marie Kreutzer had one of my favorite films out of Cannes this year. It was called Corsage, starring Vicky Creeps. But she, so she had this uh, this kind of criminal detective film called Four, which has some really interesting things uh, and this gay couple moving to a small town, which also has like an interesting secret tied into their relationship to this town. Uh, and uh, an actress from Corsage that I quite liked in it called Regina Frisch, uh, who's playing this kind of bitchy detective. But uh, yeah, that was enjoyable enough for a TV film. Um, okay, so I watched the first six episodes of Mike on Hulu. It's the Mike Tyson story. Oh, okay, yeah. When I tell you that thing is nearly perfect, and oh. I cried every episode, and the episodes are not even 30 minutes long. Okay. It's like the perfect thing. It's so good. It is so, so good. And then I don't think I've shared this story, but I have had the occasion to be around Mike Tyson a lot. And I've been to his house many times in Las Vegas because... I had a friend who went on a few dates with him. And so for a period of time, we got to... A lady friend. A lady friend, yes. Mm -hmm. And so for a period of time, we got to visit the house um, that he had on Tamiyasu, which uh, is next to Wayne Newton's um, compound of Shenandoah. <laughs> but uh, of course, a beautiful home. That's where that tiger was. And it, you know, and the... Mm -hmm. You can Google pictures of the house with the big room with all the TV monitors and all the things. And then he used to get his hair cut at the same place I would get my hair cut. So I would see him there all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's just such a, he's such a huge popular figure. Like in the late 80s and early 90s, mm -hmm. he was so popular. Mm -hmm. With a lot of, you know, terrible kind of news coverage. About and then too, all right? the thing, and then, yeah, all the bad things that happened, of course, culminating with him being convicted of raping. Um, oh gosh. No, I just Regina. forgot her name. No, it's like Diana. What, or, oh, he wasn't, she just accused him of, he was convicted. That's what he went to prison for like seven years for. No, but what's her face? Um, I'm talking about the beauty pageant. Lady oh, okay. who accused him of rape. So that's really where things sort of hit a low. Um, but uh, so far, uh, um, episode seven comes out this coming week, but episode six uh, sort of ends with him talking about like his time in prison and him uh, starting to like him becoming Muslim, I believe. But oh my God, the actor playing Mike is so good. And the mannerisms, 
Because Mike is very, his voice, you know, he has that famous sort of like higher pitched, like uh, lispy voice. And mm-hmm. then his mannerisms are very fey. Like mm-hmm. if you talk to him, he he does move his hands a lot in a very delicate way. Mm-hmm. And he's, yeah, he seems very delicate and he's not very tall. Like we're the same height, but he's built like a bulldog. Like he's super, super muscular. And then... um it's very intimidating being in front of him because he just looks like 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 a beast. And then, of course, that tattoo on his face. But um, he's such a uh, magnetic presence and what a huge career. Is, is Robin Givens featured? So I was going to say near... So I said it's nearly perfect because I think the weakest part of what I've seen so far is the actor playing Robin Givens. Oh, okay. And I'm sure you know who she is. Um, but I thought she uh, was... She is my least favorite. <laughs> well, you know, so do you Who's know the woman? Do you know the actor playing Mike Travante Rhodes? No, from Moonlight. That's him in Bird Box. Oh, yeah, he is fantastic. Mm-hmm. He is so good. Who's the lady playing um, the the beauty pageant? Oh, Desiree Washington. Yes, I really like how they handled that because it it, it seems like it's coming from like. I don't know. It's telling it from like it, it seems like it's just stating the facts and trying to be objective. Oh, and then Grace Zabriskie is in it. Who's that? She plays Camille, that old white lady from Twin Peaks. Oh, she's the. Um, I like. I usually. She's like her. the wife of the man who trained Mike uh, Cuss. Oh, oh, Carvey Keitel. Yes, who's okay. also very good. Yeah. Like who you just saw in Thelma and Louise, and you didn't really like him in that. He's very good, uh, but yeah, the lady playing Robin Givens, I did not. Laura care. Harrier. What do you? We we know her from. She's somewhere. only in one of. She's in Black Klansman, which you haven't seen. I recognized her. Oh, you you watched Hollywood. Oh, that's what I recognized her from. Where she plays. Yes, um, that that that's right. She's in that Ryan Murphy show, which I did not. Like. Um, yeah, but aside from her. She's also in the remake of White Man Can't Jump coming up. Anyway. Anyway, I would highly, highly recommend it. I'm absolutely finishing it. I would rewatch all the episodes. It's just, it also feels like, you know, I often complain about films or shows not capturing like the grandeur of something or mm-hmm. the opulence. I feel like this does. Oh, that, remember I saw him when we lived over in South Bay at that, at that Vons. Mike? Yeah, Mike Tyson. He's just well, like chilling out the customer service. Because his weed dispensary thing, I think, is like the headquarters or something, is like an Elsa. It's in South Bay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's so easy to forget. Like, he was so huge. And I think the show does a good job of showing, like, where he came from, how he got to where he is, how despicable Don King is. Like, mm-hmm. just fascinating. But moving on. So I watched Scary Movie 2 and Scary Movie 5. Okay. After, because we had watched 3 and 4 and then I rewatched 1 a few weeks ago. But I keep forgetting like those movies are really funny. <laughs> I think they're so funny. <laughs> That's all I want to say. Okay. I feel like every few years I'm going to have to rewatch all the scary movies. I think movies. they all have a couple moments. I don't know like cohesively if they don't age well because of course each film is referencing uh cinematic references from that period. Yes. So it's like watching Scary Movie 5 from 2013 or 14 I believe. Mm-hmm. Some of those references I didn't know. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I'd really have to research, like, what what are they talking about? <laughs> right. But overall, I think it's really funny. And they get some pretty cool people. I mean, I, th- I still think the first Haunted House is better than the scary movie movies, where what's-his-name is having sex with that doll. I don't know. I was <laughs> laughing my ass off. Uh, I mean, I think it was Scary Movie 5 where I was, like, sitting on the couch by myself, half drunk. And, but I, I was still... I, I was very amused. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. So there's a movie called Is It Just Me? It's a 2010 film that I watched. And you might recall me talking about this because the movie was so bad that I Googled it. And then a friend of ours, mm-hmm. his when I Googled the movie, his name and picture came up as being part of the film. Mm-hmm. But we found out that it's not him. There's someone who has the same name as him who's like a, uh, like a, a working actor. But anyway... The reason I wanted to bring this movie up is because it was so bad, I was trying to read, like, who did it. And it's directed by someone named J.C. Calciano. Mm -hmm. And then this person, J.C. Calciano, who wrote and directed it, he was head of production for Tom Cruise's production company, as well as he ran Melanie Griffith's, um, like, production company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, seemingly, like, has some, some chutzpah. And then he, there's a quote about him talking about the film saying that he wanted to follow the formula of a 21st century romantic comedy that would be entertaining to all viewers, regardless of the main character's sexual orientation. It was also based on the desire to pull from his own 11 plus year committed relationship to his partner that would highlight some of the lessons learned that he felt were worth sharing by expressing insights into the connections between that effect, this is a grammar issue, each other's lives, while focusing on the positive aspects of gay relationships. Like, just blah, blah, blah. So, of course, I'm like, oh, this is going to be... Well thought out and... Child, this movie was terrible. It felt like, first of all, it feels like a gay film that was made, like a gay indie film from the late 90s. So That's to right. find out it was released in 2010, I don't know if they shot it in like like 10 years prior. It's terrible. It's not even worth going through the story, but the lead actor is so pathetic and so unlikable. And it's supposed to be about him. It's one of those uh, movies where like he's on like, gay.com chatting with or like manhunt or something Mm -hmm. one of those websites back then chatting with some guy and they basically fall in love overnight chatting and then when he closes his laptop before he does so he realizes that he was logged in Mm -hmm. under his roommate like his roommate was using his laptop and left himself logged in okay and the roommate's hot so of course this guy thinks he's talking to the hot roommate and not the actual guy. Although I could argue both of them are equally as attractive, so it's stupid. Also, the blah, blah, blah. It's one of those stories where now this character has to try to reveal the truth. Mm-hmm. And of course, when he does, it goes poorly. But then in the end, it's resolved. It's on, I believe, Tubi. That's where I watched it, maybe. Okay. It's so bad that I would recommend it just for a laugh. Also, it felt nostalgic because um, it's set in West Hollywood. So a lot of the old haunts that I remember from back in the day are still there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fun for that. But yeah, I thought that was fun to mention. Then I watched a movie called Trade, which you walked in on me watching. Oh, God. Which was terrible, too. That was on Tubi as well. But 
it, it's a gay film, but I thought the story was interesting because it's about a closeted guy, like a corporate attorney who's married to this woman and they're suffering from fertility issues and she really wants to be pregnant. He is uh, closeted. He meets a, gay, uh, a, a male sex worker and strikes up a relationship mm -hmm. and basically says, I cannot be gay because my entire world will crumble. Like I'm part of this conservative world. And this sex worker, so the lawyer is white, the sex worker is black. The sex worker says, well, I, I know one way you can get around this if you become like a trans hooker. And you saw part of it. Like he becomes like a hooker and mm -hmm. that's how he satisfies his. It's, it's so strange because the film is not well done, so it doesn't properly balance like, some... are you gay or are you trans? Because, and right. I, I, I guess you can be both, obviously. There uh -huh. are queer, yeah. I mean, there are homosexual trans people, but it's just like, it's a lot for him to unpackage in such a short amount of time, in such an extreme situation. And on these streets, like what? Yeah, but it's worth watching because it's so ridiculous. And the scene where the lawyer finally tells his wife, like, because she catches him, mm -hmm. she finds out he's like, he has like a separate apartment Mm -hmm. and she shows up on his ass and he's dressed as a woman and she's basically like uh no we're staying together and you're going to get me pregnant and he's telling her like this is me this is who i am and the wife is like no <laughs> no this is not you anyway lastly i watched um support the girls i love that movie um, it was interesting. She's, I think Regina Hall is great. She's so good in that movie. I related to her character. So Regina What made you watch that? Because I brought it up? I don't know. I was it was on a work day and I had a ton of stuff to do, so I sat on the couch and put it on and it caught my attention immediately. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up paying full attention to it. But Regina Hall plays the manager of this like Hooters type restaurant yep. and everything just falls apart because she's She's the manager, but she's also like a mother to all the like the female employees, mm -hmm. and she's having her own drama. I think the story's kind of ridiculous because she's going a little too far with trying to help the girls. But I think she is like that character is very um, good. Like I was very invested in her. Yeah, I thought the acting of some of the supporting cast was crunchy, particularly that lesbian Bobo. Sure, played by that actor I recognize from a lot of stuff. But I really liked um, her character. But I kind of related to this idea of like a position I had when I was managing a team mm -hmm. and feeling like I was trying really hard to like make everyone like okay. Mm -hmm. But you can't. But you can't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the story was about. Mm -hmm. Like you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Because me trying to or regina's character trying to help all these girls who ultimately because the, the the main storyline is that she is having this like car wash to raise money for lawyer fees for one of the servers who got into a fight with her boyfriend mm -hmm. and regina's character is letting her stay at her house mm -hmm. and, and then the girl ends up going back with the boyfriend anyway yeah and then she's another one of the servers. She's telling her, like, don't date the customers. Like, don't do this. And then when Regina finally quits her job, that girl says, actually, I have been dating this guy mm -hmm. for a long time. So it's kind of like, yeah, you, you have to help yourself first. Yes. You, you can't do more for people than they want to do for themselves. But that's what a lot of people want to think. Because a lot of people say, like, 
you can't help someone they don't want to help themselves. But it's like, bitch, you don't know that I even want that help. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't want that. So I think there are a lot of presumptions that are made. Like, just because that's how I would live my life doesn't mean that's how you want to live it. So why am I even bothering? Mm -hmm. And also, it's not my responsibility because I remember trying really hard to, like, get people's schedules, like, where I think that it would work for them. And it's like, at the end of the day, bitch, if you can't get to work on time, what am I supposed to do? Right. I'm doing everything I can to adjust your hours like talk to you about this that, and the third you're not happy you want to get paid more this is not the career you want it's not your employer's responsibility to figure your life out for you that's just not the world we live in mm -hmm. it's, it's not we don't like work-life balance in the united states is not non-existent mm -hmm. very few companies really care about their employees and it's usually the smaller ones that do so yeah i thought that film uh su support the girls mm -hmm. does a really good job of that was actually my top 10 uh favorite films that year it, it did a really good job of sort of exploring this idea of like you know really at the end of the day we all need to figure our own shit out mm -hmm. <laughs> and your job cannot be so many i've just had so many people like bring that shit to work mm -hmm. and it's like what do you want your employer to do for you with your three-hour commute Mm -hmm. You knew where your job was when you interviewed, like you drove there, you knew it was going to be a shitty commute, you knew that your kids have to go to school at 7 in the morning, but then you took a job where you have to start at 7.30, so you know every day is going to be a struggle. It just, like at some point, the, the, the onus should be on the individual. Yeah, of course. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, that was the message I got from the film, and coming at it from that perspective, I thought it was very effective. Yes. But, but the story itself was kind of ridiculous. Uh, I, I think Regina was the first black woman to win Best Actress uh, from the New York Films Critics Group that year, oh. which is notable. Okay, moving on to projects of interest, something called Full Circle. Yeah, Steven Soderbergh, busy, busy, uh, doing a film series with Zazie Beetz and uh, your favorite Claire Danes. Claire Danes? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know why that's funny, listen to the podcast episode called The Shout. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it sounds like a, a murder mystery procedural thriller kind of thing that would uh, is, looks delicious. Uh, and something called Sympathy for the Devil. Your, uh, your boy Nick Cage is currently filming another uh, movie in Las Vegas right now. Oh, as you didn't tell me about that. Because I just found out about it this week, which is why it's on this week's podcast. Uh, Co-starring Joel Kinnaman from uh, Israeli... Robocop. Israeli director Yuval Adler, uh, whose last film, The Secrets We Keep, we did review, which is basically a death in the maiden ripoff, also starring Joel Kinnaman and Numi Rapace. But uh, yeah, that's filming right now. Unfortunately, there is an entry in the obituary section. Okay, let me just say... The uh, Queen done died. The Queen Queen Elizabeth has ding-dong, the witch is dead. Uh, I had left a screening in Venice. I think it was uh, the documentary about Bonnie Timmerman, because Sigourney Weaver's featured in it, so I had to see it. Uh, and I won't say her name, because she's a fairly notable film critic, but I, I walked outside uh, onto the square, and I'm like, oh, hey. And she's like... She had this really, like big smile on her face and she's like well the queen died and then we both just started cackling <laughs> can i tell you what i thought i just posted a video on my instagram of some uh a, a, a younger black lady uh crying mm -hmm. and her friend is so the, the video starts with the friend telling this woman on camera the queen died and then the girl the, the lady starts crying and she's like beyonce <laughs> And she starts naming all the black divas. Like mm -hmm. she goes, Beyonce? No, she goes, Queen Latifah? 
Beyonce, Janet, Diana Ross, Tracy Ellis Ross, Tony Braxton. She's naming all of my divas. And then she goes, <laughs> the lady, her friend off camera goes, the Queen of England? And then the girl goes, Adele? And then, <laughs> and then she's like, well, who are they talking about? That's how I felt. Yeah. Like, well, it's, First of all, that lady was old as hell. Like, <laughs> well, and I was cackling when I heard it because like they're all, leading up to her death, there were all these news stories like the, the Queens and health. It's like, Shh, this bitch is 96. And all I could think of as soon, as soon after news broke that she died, it's like, God, are they all going to live that long? Like, how long do we have to live with this fucking family of, of people that contribute nothing, add nothing, but the, the country they're from allows them to hold this title and live in a life of fucking luxury? For what? For what? I'm not British. I don't know much about the monarch to say anything other than I don't really care. They contribute nothing to government operations. But they're- aside from that, I, you know, my feelings about death are very black and white, and I think it's really odd to me when people mourn the death of people who lived a very long life like why are you crying about someone who was damn near a hundred well a like lot- when did how long do you how how long would that person needed to have lived for you to not react this way well like that, how that, many people need to die how much is, the, what, like, what and what's the what's the power of what's the legacy now of charles it's like nothing because they don't it's these rich fucking white people that have nothing to do and and look what happens when we le- actually learn about what they're really up to and things that they do and the, the well, dirt again, that they get up to. i don't i don't know enough except that it just seems like I'm sure for many people around the world and certainly in the UK the royal family has some value and some sentiment right so uh, like sure nostalgia is death like I just think it's more like everyone posting all these like things as if like they have this like um, connection to the queen it's kind of funny to me like okay whatever it just seems like nowadays anytime someone dies every celebrity is posting a picture they have of them with them and like everyone has an anecdote about the person, and I, you know, I, I'm not saying I don't give a fuck about the Queen of England, but I mean, I don't. I, really... I am. I don't. I really could care less, and I, I don't. It, it, you know, my mother grew up. I remember she had like a scrapbook of from Di's wedding, and I remember even as a young boy being like, "Why do you care about this woman's wedding?" Well, I'm not gonna go that far because a, yeah, I have a connection to some notable people as in like I really enjoy their work and if they were to pass I'd be sad their work yeah and 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 I would feel something and there are people I don't know who die every second of the day and it's like I don't care about them either because I don't know them I think that's how I feel about the Queen of England I don't know that lady I don't know what she does I, I I recognize her picture and I know she's the Queen of England but I didn't grow up like you know uh, like literally, if Tina Turner, Diana Ross, Queen Latifah, they died, I'd be more upset. <laughs> or when they died. They, that family has more in common with their colonialist past than they do with anyone uh, in today's uh, real world. So and I just the the, the reverence, I, I just don't understand. I it's, wasn't trying to get this nasty about the Queen. I just think that I, I, I don't think it's nasty. I was kind of shocked at like people's reaction to it it kind of surprised it's, me it's just like the movie we're about to discuss that you chose where it's like all these people are like protect the queen why <laughs> well, why why are we protecting our captors i don't I'm, understand i i just yeah i i think in particular in the past two days or three days whatever how long it's been like seeing people's response on social media it just seems really odd Ugh. like like did, did you really feel that way about the queen of england like okay <laughs> All right, we have to pause for one second.
Okay, so I chose the secret film this week. I discovered a new podcast, the name of which I can't recall, but it's a man and a woman. <laughs> okay. Who they, they have kind of a cute name, and I it would take me too long to try to figure it out because I can't, don't have access to my phone. Well, well good job narrowing it down, though. At least. Yeah, it's a man and a woman. They talk about film, mm-hmm. and I only discovered them because they fo- started following our Instagram page, mm-hmm. so... I was checking their stuff out and they had a, if it, if this helps narrow it down, they, their most recent episode is about Sinister and the Black Phone. They talk about those two movies. Okay. But before they get to that, they were talking about some things they watched for fun. And one of them, the, the gentleman brought up a film called The Sea Beast, an animated film that's streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Which I brought up as something that we didn't cover, but were offered to when it did come out earlier this year. Great. So the way he was describing it, I thought, oh, it, he was really saying how much he liked it. The way he described it didn't really sell, sell me, but I thought, let me look at the trailer. Mm-hmm. I watched the trailer and it looked pretty good. So that's why I chose it. Okay. So The Sea Beast uh, was released this past year, directed by Chris Williams. Do you know who that is? Yes, he directed Big Hero 6, which I actually was a big fan of. I think Big Hero 6 is extremely cute. So overall, I thought this movie was okay. I think it looks great. It's long. It feels so much longer than the nearly two hour running time <laughs> it's almost two hours for a kid's film I, I, it I, felt languid at times but i think it looks amazing the animation's great and i think the story has a lot of heart it's just kind of basic with good obviously some good messaging yes uh, again i think it has to be basic enough to get its point across to the children and some of the so adults the story is set like what maybe like the 1700s the 1800s mm-hmm. i don't know as you like to say old timey times in the old timey times and basically we live in a world where there are these big sea creatures mm-hmm. and the sort of the lore is that these beasts are like violent towards humans so they have to be eradicated so there's one kingdom that sort of capitalized on that mm-hmm. this king and queen they are just you know it's been generations now but their kingdom were the, was the first to say like we're going to build ships and we're going to send these ships out and kill the beast to keep the world safe. So because of their efforts, they became a very powerful kingdom. It's basically a metaphor for colonialism. But yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we find this one captain on his and his crew out there, and they kill beasts. But there's one beast in particular, the red... Um, what is it called? The red... Uh, this red beast. The, what, red, the red bustler? The red bluster. Bluster. Which is such a horrible name. And it looks like a little... Or it's big, but it's like this red... It's a cute little creature, but mm-hmm. it's big. It looks kind of like a snake cat. It looks like a snake cat, actually, yeah. Um, this is like the prime beast. Mm-hmm. That, like, if they can kill this, it's like... Like Moby Dick. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the story revolves around the captain and his crew, and then this little girl... Who like is a stowaway? Well, and also the the little boy that saved at the beginning, Jacob, who ends up being Carl Urban as an adult, who's basically the protege for the actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or for the captain, uh, voiced by Jerry. But Harris. the little girl's important because her parents were hunters. That's what they call the people who go after these beasts. They died, um, so she's an orphan. But she's a stowaway on this boat, and to make a long story short. She sort of realizes, but before anyone else does, that 
all of the stories that were told about these beasts as being like savages and monsters is not true. Like these beasts were where they're supposed to be in the water and we went after them. There's actually a quote where she says, um, what if they aren't as bad as they say? The sea is their home. We went after them. Mm -hmm. So then we realize that the red bluster is actually like a kind creature and it helps her and Jacob. Mm -hmm. And in the end, they go back to the red bluster does get captured by um, some other hunters and brought back to or by, by the captain of by, the boat. By Captain Crow. And brought back to the king and queen. And in the last minute before they kill it. The little girl gives this impassioned speech mm -hmm. about how what we thought was true was were lies perpetuated by the monarch, mm -hmm. and then of course all the, the 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 kingdom is like, "Yay, believe the girl! We're going to end this. We're no longer going to hunt the beast." The end. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my first note is I thought this movie was kind of violent for a kids' movie. It is. <laughs> it well, I mean, it doesn't bother me, but again, like people are so goddamn sensitive about everything now. It's like I'm, yeah, I'm surprised that there weren't charges of um, uh, terrifying children lobbed against this film. But also, the beasts don't like they're these huge creatures, like almost like dinosaurs, except for the red bluster that looks like a toy. Mm -hmm. But the other ones look like dinosaurs. The other things are like. Uh, like Pacific Rim type Well, thing. or like the cartoon equivalent of Ray Harryhausen's like Mysterious Island. <laughs> oh. Well, I wrote, like, they don't seem that impenetrable. Like, the humans are throwing, like, knives at them and it kills them. Well, if you get it in that soft spot. Yeah, but these knives are like, uh, like what, eight inches long? Right. And these creatures are like... As big as, like, dinosaurs. I know, but you can't make it too bloody. Well, and then they're shooting, like, bows and arrows at them. And one of the creatures looks like it has, like, rhinoceros skin. Mm -hmm. And then the bow just goes right through it. And then the captain, Captain Crow, he kills one of them right away by, like, stabbing it in the neck. But he's holding, like, a little knife. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's no way that that creature's skin is not thicker than that knife. Like, what organ did he hit to kill this thing? The death I, organ. The death organ. I was very distracted by those details. Sure. Um, the details I was distracted by are uh, the bluster swallows Jacob and Maisie, and then they're like hanging out in its nostril and in its mouth uh, when there would be water. Oh, that, they're underwater. It's a long scene where Red Bluster swallows Maisie and Jacob while they're in a boat. Mm -hmm. So the boat is like on Red's tongue, mm -hmm. and there's no water. And it's very still. Mm -hmm. And then they go walk around the reds, like internal, like cranium. And then all of a sudden, well, like they go through its mouth into the, its uh, nasal passage. And then they're looking through its nostril underwater, mm -hmm. but there's no water. Yeah. But then when they go above water, there's wind coming in. So I understand that maybe the, those creatures close their nostrils so they're not like inhaling water, but then you wouldn't be able to see through it. Uh huh. Or there, that would be a way to fix that. Like there'd be a translucent membrane that comes up because bluster is presented as technically maybe, an amphibian. So maybe there is a translucent membrane. I just thought. Well, that, we don't see it. But I just thought it was so weird that it's so still in there, and I don't know. That that scene took me out. Um, then there's a scene that kind of references Alien because yeah. we see May, uh, Red takes Red is so when the when they've been swallowed by Red, Red is taking them to safety mm -hmm. for some reason because she sees that 
Jacob and Maisie, the little girl, saved Red, essentially. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to save them. They get to this island, and then Maisie's walking around, and she's stepping on, like, these pods that are, like, eggs. Mm -hmm. And then Jacob even mentions, like, don't play with these creatures. They might lay eggs in you and burst out of your chest cavity. Mm -hmm. So, of course, feels like they're referencing aliens. But, um... Uh... Maisie makes a friend, this little blue creature, that sort of saves the day for them at one point, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, how, which, how they, uh, she's decided to gender these creatures is interesting as well. It is. Then they convince, Maisie convinces Red to take them back to where they need to go, which mm -hmm. is a very long trip. Yeah. It seems like it takes days mm -hmm. on this creature. Uh, but the creature has all these, like, um, arrows stuck in it. And it takes a while for them to realize, like, maybe we should help her out and remove mm -hmm. these arrows, which look like acupuncture needles mm -hmm. on this big-ass animal. And then as they remove the needles, you can hear the creature, like, giving a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I didn't like... I didn't like the tone of the film because it's, like, not cutesy enough. Mm -hmm. There are moments when it's, like, trying to be cute and a little humorous, but it's not enough. It's actually quite dark. Because Captain Crow is like, he wants vengeance. Mm -hmm. He's Captain Ahab, basically. In a way that doesn't seem like appropriate for a child. And then Jacob is very like, like he's throwing the animals, like the little pet, the little blue pet Maisie makes. Mm -hmm. He just throws it like mm -hmm. it's nothing. And yeah, I just, I didn't necessarily like these characters. Even Maisie, who part of why I this movie's trailer caught my attention is the main little girl is black. Mm -hmm. And then the first cat, first mate, first mate on the ship is also a black woman, which I recognize both her and Jared Harris. It's Marianne Jean Baptiste. Uh, I was like, God, that sounds like her and Jared Harris. I, I could tell it was them. So that was cool. That caught my attention. Um, okay. So Captain Crow is like obsessed with vengeance. Mm -hmm. He wants to kill this creature be specifically because he thinks when Red swallows Jacob and Maisie, Captain Crow assumes they're dead. Mm -hmm. So now he wants double vengeance. So the double then, storm. So all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to go see Gwen Garbobble or whatever her name is, who turns out to be this witch. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, oh, and voiced by Kathy Burke. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, if you go to her, that's like not honoring the Hunter's Code. And mm -hmm. I feel like all that was very ambiguous and kind of pointless. They to me. don't uh, for an hour, an hour and a for two hours for a two hour running time. They don't kind of yeah correctly. But he goes to this when, witch when and she's like, oh, I know what you want. You want a weapon that'll kill this thing. Well, I have the perfect weapon. It's called God's hand or something. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, what do I? What like what do you want to like? How can I get it? And the witch goes, "Well, I want everything." Yeah, and I'm like, "What does the captain have that she wants?" And they never even say. Yeah, like, what it's this needs to be like Ursula, the sea witch wants. Right. What exactly do you think you're getting from this? Um, my only other note is that in the end, when the king and queen are confronted about their sort of lies or perpetuating these lies, they kind of run away, and then we never see what happens. What happens to them? So I feel like the story feels. I don't, I'm not going to say it's half-baked. It just doesn't feel for as long as it is and for how well done uh, the production of it is. It just feels very thin mm -hmm. on the story, very obvious. And 
I wasn't super satisfied at the end. I just thought it looked really cool. And of course the messaging. I feel like movie, like I've watched other animated films like this with a similar-ish message that made me emotional. Mm -hmm. Actually quite easily. Mm -hmm. And in this one I didn't feel... Partially because I think like what's happening to the other beasts, we don't get any context. Like we, like we see several other beasts being attacked and killed and it's like nothing. And then Red, they don't really, like she's really not in harm until the very end when they've injected her with this poison, but then they don't give her enough to kill her because they want to take her to the king and queen. Mm -hmm. And then right when they're about to kill her, that's when the little girl gives her speech. So I never felt like, I, I didn't really... Well, it's just, you know, I think there are other ways that they could have made this more meaningful. Like, you know, even Jacob tells the little girl at one point, like, he's going to drop her off wherever she needs to go and she's going to live a long, happy life or something. It's like this orphan black girl on whatever you're, you're in with, without your help. Um... I think we should have spent more time with Jacob and Maisie with Red and sort of learning her life and what she goes through and like there should have been because even after like does red have a family you know yes yeah, something like that but even after red helps jacob and Maisie, jacob is still not helping her mm -hmm. he turns on her very quickly so i didn't like the jacob character it isn't until the very very end that he stands up for red mm -hmm. and says like we need to stop the fighting I just feel like the arc was very, like, flat and then all of a sudden abrupt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. So I don't think the storytelling was the best, but high, high production. It looks great. I'd be curious to know if kids like it. Because the action is not... The, the action actually feels pretty... It, it's good. I the, When we get the action sequences, it almost feels like a Pacific Rim type movie, mm -hmm. which I like. But then it's you know sparse in between like these languid scenes of just i don't know just like they're hanging out mm -hmm. yeah basically <laughs> that's all i have for this movie um what are you reading i finished liar mouth on the plane uh which i had expected to like a lot more than i did by john waters but eh, oh. i think if you're a fan of his yes what year he just wrote it oh uh because presumably because he can't get funding to make his films anymore. And what he did conceive would be impossible to film. Why? Because uh, there's a subset of characters that are addicted to bouncing. What does that mean? Like on trampolines. And so when they're not on trampolines, they're continually bouncing still. Uh, so it's like this, this kind of dirty, weird fantasy. There's also a man whose penis becomes sentient that is perpetually... Uh, erect that he's talking to and he's identifies as straight and his penis discovers that the penis is gay uh, there there are interesting things for sure and i did giggle a few times but i think i wanted it to be something else maybe but uh again i guess if you're a fan of his it's it's definitely worth checking out uh but uh then i started reading a slim a slim novel that shouldn't take me uh, long called perversity uh written by Francois Carco, a French author. And uh, I've had it for a while, um, notably because this uh, version was translated by Jean Rhys, uh, who's a fantastic British author, uh, who's probably best known for Wide Sargasso Sea, which is a follow-up to uh, you know, Jane Eyre, uh, 
Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. Uh, but perversely, I'll just read you the back, the front line of the back. A prostitute, her pimp, and her brother are locked in an unholy triangle of terror. <laughs> in perversity, Francois Carco's stunning and sordid story set in the slums of Paris. And I don't know if you can see the, the hooker on the cover in the illustration of her face. She looks like Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's everything that I want right oh, now. Oh, you know what else I watched that I forgot that saying Tim Curry's name um, made me think of? I watched uh, Jackie's Back. Again. Again. Okay. Isn't there a Jackie's Washington Day now? Well, in the movie, there's a Jackie Washington Day. But wait, didn't Jennifer like, Lewis just got her um She got star. her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, I think, on Jackie Washington yes. Day. That's in the movie. But... Um, Entendre. That, that movie is funny. It is funny. And it's the only time I think I've... Well, you know, Jennifer Lewis is palatable when she's like sprinkled into shit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's a star of this movie and it works so well because there are so many people. If you don't know about Jackie's Back, look it up and look at all of the people who are Oh, yeah. What Was that 1999? What year was that? I don't know. Early 2000s? Sure, around that time, but... And I think it's a television film, technically. Is it? That's what I thought I remember. Oh, it's but so good. Yes, and Tim Curry is this man that's interviewing this her, Jennifer Lewis playing Jackie, who's this Jackie star, Washington, who's making a, about to make a comeback. But th- there, th- we have to do an episode about this movie because there are so many details to this. Like, whoever directed this did such a good job. There uh, isn't so- it. Ro- isn't it Robert Evans? Is it? I'm pretty sure that there Robert are so Evans many did. details. Even like the. You know, because Jackie Washington has done a lot of movies. Well, mostly music, but she's done movies. And even the names of, like, her songs. Oh, Robert Townsend, sorry. Robert Townsend. Robert Evans is the the screenwriter. <laughs> um, it, like, the attention to detail. Uh, the <laughs> and then Tim Curry dealing with Jennifer Lewis. Because <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> like her. <laughs> and then Entendre. Get me a and, double. And then uh, Jennifer Lewis's daughter is named named Entendre, and mm-hmm. she treats her like she's her assistant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then who's the guy from Kramer? Michael Richards? No, not Kramer. I'm sorry. What's the movie with Kelsey? What's the TV show with Kelsey Grammer? Uh, are you talking about the guy that Niles? The David, Hyde guy, Pierce. David Hyde Pierce. David Hyde Pierce. So Jackie's back. It, it's all it, like the the story is all culminating with like her big comeback and her like this big performance she's gonna have so it all culminates with that performance but it all goes to hell because she doesn't have any money to pay the people <laughs> and they all want to go on strike and david hyde pierce is like this last minute piano player replacement <laughs> but he's deaf <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> but you got all you have dolly and rosie and liza and bed midler yeah, bed midler diane carroll penny marshall and cameron manheim and chris rock oh penny marshall has the funniest line in the movie because all of these super famous people who are in the film they're all being interviewed about like jackie washington's comeback <laughs> and penny marshall says come back don't you have to have been somewhere to then come back from it? <laughs> but the way she says it in her dry like manner mm-hmm. is so... <laughs> don't you have to have been somewhere to come back to? <laughs> oh, God. I actually... Um, I feel like I should add Jackie's back to like my favorites list. Because okay. I could watch this movie on a regular and basis. It's, it is 1999 and it was for television. But yeah. Do you have anything else for us? <sighs> no. Okay. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.